Hello, and welcome back to Conversations with a Mixed Chick. I'm your host and resident mixed chick, Christina Pena. As you know, every week I get to sit down and have conversations with humans that I am obsessed with. This week, we have Rebecca Vega Romeo. Rebecca is probably the reason why I do this podcast every week. She's a fellow mixed chick who is always willing and open to have deep conversations with me that we don't know if others will be ready to have. Rebecca is an actress, writer, poet, songstress, producer, tarot reader, and so much more. Her story is needed in this world because she is the definition of where this world is heading. Hello. Hello. Welcome to my podcast. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here, Christina. I'm so happy you're here, Rebecca. Okay, I'm going to start with the question. Ah, what does it mean to be unapologetically Rebecca? <laughs> it means to be in very bold colors and bright prints or vice versa, bright prints, bold colors. <laughs> It means sharing honestly from the truth of who I am. It means flowery language and musical theater quotes. It means trying to bring genuine sparkle to everyday life. Okay, that's amazing. Wait. I just, I just never said that before, but that felt right. I love that. We all need more sparkle in our life, as I said here in like dark blue clothes. But there's like a lot of darkness. So that's where the sparkle comes from is me choosing not to sit in the darkness, own it, and then move through it with joy. That, okay, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, now I have nothing to say. <laughs> not true. Okay, so I find this really interesting when talking to people, when they talk about themselves and they get really uncomfortable, which is totally fine. But I find it so interesting that you use the word bold and honesty and what that means just in general. And then we get all nervous. Oh, yeah. I just find it like such a juxtaposition that's still so pure. I feel like one of the things that I have been working on a lot in the last few years, and especially in this last month, year, I don't know, are they the same? Yes. It's March 335th today. No, the, what I've, one of the things I've been working on is closing that gap between who I know myself to be when, I'm, when I don't feel that I'm being observed or judged and the cloak of meekness that I throw over myself when I am afraid of what other people will think of me. Well, I think you're fantastic, so we can start there. Feelings mutual. Many people believe you're fantastic, so we could we could start there. Oh my god! Okay, so tell me about about everything you do. You're an amazing multi hyphenate artist. You're an actress. You're a writer. You're a poet. You're a songwriter. You play instruments. Does that all stem from the idea of sharing your story, or just who you are as a person? Or well, thank you. That was 
it's nice to hear myself reflected back that way. I play one instrument, <laughs> the ukulele, and that's very new. Some reason I want to start there. I grew up in a home where both my parents were lawyers, but they were also both amateur jazz musicians, like incredibly gifted musicians. My mom plays or has played nine different instruments. My dad is a self-taught guitarist and an incredible vocalist until he smoked it out of existence, basically. And I could not learn an instrument. And it was very painful for me as a child. I think it's because I have the whole undiagnosed ADHD, but I tried everything. Nothing stuck, but I always sang and I always wanted to perform. And a year or so ago, right before the shutdown, I had picked up a ukulele and I was like, okay, I'm trying, I'm trying things that I failed at before because I just, I don't have to be good. I can just, I want to be a better musician when I sing and I think this will help. So I already had a ukulele when everything shut down and I had already been learning and it really helped me work through a lot of grief. And so that's how that part of it started. Writing, writing is, it's weird. I, I always felt like very torn between writing and performing growing up. I had to choose or that some way being a writer would delegitimize me as a performer. But I came to writing from reading. I was a very early reader and I always wanted to be able to do watching something. I had to be able to do it. If I liked reading something, I had to be able to write it. I don't know. That's the way my mind works. But I went through a long period of not writing after I left college, five or six years. When I started writing again is around the time that I started getting to learn about tarot. All of these things over the last few years have come together of like finding new sides of myself very symbiotically. So then my question is, was there a shift in mindset or a shift in your story that made it okay again or made it beautiful again? I feel like every time someone talks about picking up something new, there's always this big shift in moment that even they don't realize is happening. Oh yeah. Well, I love that universality of that shift. It definitely is true for me. Basically what happened is I was in a long-term relationship that turned into a marriage that was not the right fit for many reasons. He's still a friend of mine, but I was doing a lot of hiding in that relationship. I was hiding from myself and when you are hiding from yourself in that way, first of all, you can't show up honestly as an actor. And I was literally hiding from my identity. In that time period, I moved back to the city and I felt so out of place as a mixed race woman in the industry. And that had been a recurring theme through my whole life. And I was like, well, what if I just, you know, tried to be white? What if I just tried to be white? So I literally straightened my hair and dyed it redder and took my mother's last name and so, and all of that was happening as I got married and was like, I'm going to live this life. And as soon as I started to admit to myself that that was not right, dominoes started falling. And one of the big triggers for that was a friend of mine became a tarot reader and practiced on me. That reconnection with my intuition then made me want to start writing again and made me want to be my real self. 
And for me, being my real self is having my Afro hair and my very, very long name. And it meant leaving that relationship. Which is so interesting because I only know you as Rebecca Vega Romero, as this beautiful, fully triracial, semi-bilingual. <laughs> I love you saying my name. Thank you. I, I love to say it. I'll say it all the time. Rebecca Vega Romero. It's just, it's so interesting. And I was just talking about this with someone the other day, the idea of the traumas we endure as like trying to be white, which is, age, we can have age long conversations about this. Oh my God. Yeah. But it's just so interesting. And I find as a mixed chick, you get to go through this journey of what that means to you as a person. And I'm very happy you came out on this side because it's a lot of fun to see you like this. Thank you so much. It's also been really a big part of that journey for me is making friends like you, like ha having people in my world who actually really know what it's like to be from multiple worlds and to feel on many sides, we've been rejected. I'm working on a long form piece on this, this term, but it's called a break in belonging. And I just want to put that term out there so more people hear it because it was really helpful to me to hear. A break in belonging is when the tribe that you think that you are a part of rejects you and mixed race people experience that break in belonging earlier and more frequently than pretty much everybody else. And that does something to you. <laughs> it, it remakes parts of you. <laughs> you have to remake yourself. Yes. And you have to be bold and share. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep tying it back to what you said, because it's really true. You have to redefine how you see a yourself and, and be the world, because if you see the world different than I see the world, then that's okay. And we can build a more beautiful world that's full of flowers and sparkles together. Yes, please. Oh my God. Okay. So you talk about tarot, which I find so interesting because I know very little about it, but I, I also love that you always use the word bruja because from, I don't speak a lot of Spanish, obviously, but from what I remember about that word, it's like always a, one of those words that you like, don't say a lot. People don't talk about it. It's always like a bad word. Claro que sí. Yeah. You're not. That's exactly it. It still has the connotations that witch had 150 years ago. Mm -hmm. before that in the English language. And I feel like witch has been removed of a lot of its scariness. And maybe that's just my perspective as someone who grew up in New York City. And I don't know, maybe that's different in middle America. But I will say that Bruja, that's one of the reasons I use it, because it feels more audacious. And the other reason is for me, that's where magic is my inheritance. It's on my dad's side of the family, on my Cuban side. And since a lot, since pretty much everyone who would connect me to that heritage is gone, it feels very important that I honor it that way as I try to learn about it from books and <laughs> websites and some really awesome, but mostly white teachers. I think that's the beauty of you as a person is you are so inherently yourself that you will infuse parts of you into a culture, even if it's not the culture that you not belong, belongs not the right word, but if you're learning from white teachers, they probably have their own practice of how they teach and what they do, but you can infuse bits of yourself into it. And then it becomes your own practice, which turns out to be great. I love that. Yeah. That's, that feels very accurate to me. It's very Rebecca. 
That's so, okay. So I love all of this. Wait, so tell me more about flowery language because I find that really interesting because I've heard lots of your poetry and I've heard lots of your writing. You always use the best words that I would never use. Thank you. You're welcome. My vocabulary is Valley Girl from LA, even though I'm not even from LA. <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you about it. But first, I have to say, I really think you're underselling your writing, Christina. I think. I feel like I can speak for both of us when I say that this is a a mutual worthy rival situation where anytime I hear you share your writing, shout out to the create class at the Jen Waldman studio online. But really, anytime I hear you share your writing that way or read your blog, which I do read, by the way, I love your blog and was part of the push for me to be like, okay, yes, I'm going to publish my blog. It's worth it. It's worth getting my words out there. You, the way that you look at the world is so unflinching and still hopeful. You don't look away from the horror and you don't let your audience look away from it. And yet there's, you're making us look because you believe that we can do better. Okay. So. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I understand the awkwardness now when people are like, why are you complimenting me so much? I'm like, okay, I get it. I did it. I turned it around. I, I keep meaning to put this on like a resume, but then I feel like it would scare people away. I feel like that's one of my special skills is calling out other people's strengths. I made a whole podcast about it. (laughs) Yeah. So you could definitely put it on your special skills. (laughs) So flowery language. That's a nice way of saying that I err towards purple and purple language for those of the audience who didn't get their degree in English literature (laughs) means that it's overwritten. So you're using quote, unnecessary, unquote, adjectives and overly esoteric vocabulary, things that the ordinary person might have to look up. And for some reason, this is really tied in my head to the idea that I'm dramatic. I put air quotes on that. (laughs) And that was something that I was really shamed about as a child, that I just like feel things really intensely. And fun fact, that is a, a symptom of ADHD. So it's not that we feel things more than somebody with a personality disorder, but it's that we lack the filter to show the appropriate amount of emotion. I didn't know that. I have been doing some deep dives on this shit. It's really fucking fascinating. I guess this podcast is me coming out as neurodivergent. I haven't really talked about that very publicly. So there's that. Oops. (laughs) I mean... I have two brothers who are mentally disabled. And so I'm always here to talk about this stuff because I find it like race and we, do, we don't talk about it enough. And it becomes this thing of it's taboo. It's, it's not. My brother's pretty great. He, he's a little annoying. It's really great. Any brother's annoying. Exactly. I love the way that you talk about your family. I always feel like I know them and I've never met them. Oh, you can come over and meet them anytime you want. Yes, please. Wait, so, okay, what I was going to say was the idea of being overly dramatic, being tied to my flowery language. And so I felt, I think that that's part of how I express my ideas and the viewpoint with which I see the world is pretty operatic. And I love the diversity of language. This is where it ties back to being mixed race. I grew up pretty bilingual until I was seven. And then I kind of had Spanish ripped out of my purview. Pero like, when you learn something from birth and then you're told not to use it, it's in there. It's just getting slowly cobwebbed, right? Those connections fray and die, but there's some 
I believe there's some remnant there. I know that it's still there because I sometimes still dream in Spanish and I've been working on it again. But having two languages to run through when you're trying to express a thought means that you have this, you're always comparing what words mean and which word is going to be the most precise anyway and how it's going to be received by your audience. So then, of course, that carries over to the language that ended up becoming my dominant language, English. And the older I get, the more I'm like, well, I could dislike and trample on the fact that I want to use the word trample instead of push down, which is less accurate, but might be more comprehensible. Or I could embrace that I really love language and that's a, a part of who I am and try to share that with the world in the hopes that it means these words that I love have new life breathed into them. It's almost like you're bringing the art back into language. Yes. I get really self-conscious about the words I choose talking about language too, because I'm like, are these words smart enough? Am I putting on a voice? Am I being, I don't know. I grew up code switching a lot too. And my little sister has a long-standing habit of accusing me of being fake. She speaks in a much more, the only way that I can say it, the voice that she speaks with is a lot more ghetto, a lot more New York City. I lean towards my grandmother, who was a speech coach on my white side. I did that very consciously as a child because I stuttered a little bit and I wanted to be on stage. Yes, it's become worse since I've been back in California for so long, but I do the same thing. There are times when I can put on a voice that is very stage present and stage ready. And then there are times I'm with my mom too much and I start to vocal fry or say the wrong word. Yeah. Oh, that doesn't sound smart. So I should, I should check that. <laughs> it really depends who I'm, who I'm with. And I don't know, I think there's some power in trusting that your voice is still your voice, even if it is a little bit chameleon-esque and molds itself to the situation you're in. I used to judge myself for that. And there's a term for it, code switching, because it's a thing that humans do. It's a natural thing that humans do because we want to be in relationship with each other and we want to be understood. Especially mixed race people. Yes, exactly. There's definitely a side when I'm with all Spanish speaking people that I don't speak Spanish, but I put on an accent that is not yeah. my own, but it feels right. Yeah. If my cousins listen to this, they will be laughing at my voice. But I think that's also... Your voice is not defined by how you produce sound. I'm sorry, say that again. I'm not sure. I, I'm like, what did you just say? What? Your voice is not defined by how you produce sound. Pena. <laughs> well, I mean, think about it, because I've been talking about this a lot recently, is I have found my voice in the last year, and my voice is not how I speak. It's what I speak about. Yeah. And what is important to me and how I choose to make sound is not my voice. It's also not something you can change. You can change it a little bit, but not really. The mechanism is still the same. Yeah. And everybody's mechanism, the actual vibrations you make are as unique as a fingerprint, which I just think is beautiful. I love that you said that about your voice is not defined by the sounds that you make. Yes. Also, you said before, the idea of dreaming in Spanish. Yes. 
And I find that fascinating because I, I don't speak Spanish. I mean, I spoke Spanish in high school, like all the other white kids in California. (laughs) There's something about Spanish that I, sometimes I'll just, I'll know how to say things or I can dream in Spanish or there's something about it that feels very at home, even if it's not my home. And I find that really interesting, especially as a mixed race woman that you dream in Spanish, because does that mean you just like entirely dream in Spanish? If you were dreaming of the future, is that in Spanish? Which I find fascinating. It's usually the past. It's it's almost always my, I couldn't say abuela when I was little. So I call her Booba and my Booba, my beloved Booba. It's usually a dream about her. And my, my Tia Petucha passed away last year, right before the pandemic. And now when I dream about her, sometimes it's in Spanish. I really struggle with tenses when I'm speaking Spanish. And I feel like whenever I get into a rhythm in a conversation, which is rare because I, I freeze up so I can read and write it a lot better than I can speak it. But I'll revert back to toddler speak where everything is present tense. There is no future. There is no past. I want this moment as my last. I had to. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was waiting because you said you quote musical theater, which I do all the time. <laughs> I was waiting for something to happen. In a piano rent take. Whatever. I have been with non-actors for the last 12 months. And every time I break out into song, everyone just stares at me. Oh, my heart. I'm like, it's fine. Well, that's interesting because I know we've talked about Spanish before and that it shouldn't define how much of a Latinx we are. And yet I feel like it absolutely does. Yeah. And I can't tell if it's in a good way or a bad way. Because when you talk about Spanish, I like light up. Yeah. Even though I don't speak at all. Okay. So a couple of things. One is we've been talking about words. So I'm going to share this with you and feel free to, you know, make of it what you will. I was talking with Mac and she introduced me to a term that I'm obsessed with and I want to spread and it's Latine because the use of that vowel makes more sense in Spanish as a gender neutral term and it flows more easily. And so apparently people who are more fluent in Spanish than me found Latinx to be very putting English onto Spanish and Latine seems to be more evolving the language naturally. Which I I find so interesting because, so I'm, I normally say I'm Hispanic or I say I'm Mexican. I've always used gender neutral words just because I don't know a lot about it. And I I hated the word Latina. There's something about it that just felt very like not me. Hmm. And I mean, I use it now all the time, but when I was 15 or so, I wouldn't do it. I also have this whole idea about our Hispanic culture is all rooted from Spanish culture. And so I have this whole thing about like, I don't understand what to call us because we're essentially products of indigenous people who were traumatized by the white Spaniards. I'm so glad that you went there with this because this literally circles back to what I was going to say, which is that the thing that connects a lot of the people who are of Latine origins across the different cultures that there are is that shared history of trauma. So for me personally, that's African and indigenous and then the colonizer thrown in. And 
it's really sad that those the other languages that we come from have been in many cases obliterated they just don't exist anymore or they're in such remote tiny pockets that we don't have access to and spanish is what we have left but i also weirdly feel that way about english because on my mom's side i'm jewish ashkenazi jewish and english was not their language until three four generations ago so that's very recent that's a very recent inheritance there too i guess the point that i'm trying to make is that we have to use the tools that we have to connect i don't know i have the audrey lord quote of you will not dismantle the master's house with the master's tools i'm probably butchering that but i have that ringing in my ears now all of a sudden i'm like oh i don't agree with what i feel that but i also don't i'm making the opposite point which is that if all that's left to us is spanish and that's what connects us and it does feel that right feeling and you know that feeling that feeling what you were saying of lighting up when you when you hear it spoken or when you are able to interact with it then i think we should embrace that and make of it what we can yeah i find it interesting because we've been talking about language so much that i as a, a german woman as well don't seek to know german but there's something about spanish and being a mexican woman that i I desire to find out. Yeah. I bet it's because, well, this is just me being a diversity and inclusion consultant. <laughs> I think it's because that's the side that's been traumatized and that's the side that's been pushed down. Not that my father ever taught me this, but taught to me that it was wrong to be Mexican. There's something about it that when we were young, we are told that we need to speak English. That's our language. And even coming from two women who are from very inclusive cities. I'm from San Francisco. You're from New York. We're full of Hispanic people and yet not taught to everyone, which I find so interesting. I love that. Me too. Uh, I also want to talk about how I find as a mixed race woman, it's a lot easier for me. And correct me if I'm wrong, if you don't believe this, to be a multi-hyphenate artist. Oh my God, yeah. Yes. Okay, good. So I've been thinking about this recently because I was like, why is it, why do I want to do everything? Because I am everything. There is something about it that I've been taught how to be everything. So now I don't see this. I must be an actor. I must be a writer. One thing or the other. Good. I'm just glad I'm not the only one who thinks that. So relieved that you said that because that idea had pinged for me earlier when you listed all the different things I did and then I forgot to circle back to it. But yes, exactly. And I definitely have written fellowship applications recently talking about how my work, the work that I am here to do, my artistic need is just like me, mixed as fuck. Am I allowed to curse? Yeah. No, you're, you're allowed. <laughs> Swear all the fucking time you want. Yes. But yeah, really, that's part of how I see the world. And I always come back to because she's complex and one of her heroes is definitely an old white Jewish man and his name is Stephen Sondheim. Same. I always, always, always come back to content dictates form. The ideas that want to move through me or that are coming from me, I really try to respect what that idea is and the form that it's meant to take. And if that means I have to make up forms like a lot of the 
poetry that I've worked on in this last year has been something that I call a foam because I think that's a funny name, but it's a photo poem. So it's a poem that has as part of its DNA one or more photographic images. So you can read the poem and enjoy it just listening to it, but that poem is going to say what I want it to say when you see it on the page a lot more. That's so interesting. Stephen Sondheim is also one of my gods. Yes. <laughs> it's really funny because he has this quote that I've been sitting with for the last like year. It's talking about revivals. Unless you have something new to say, don't do it. And so I, I now live my life as like, if I don't have something new to add to the conversation, then why do I need to have the conversation again and again? And again, <laughs> when it comes to racism, it happens again and again and again. I appreciate that quote, but I also feel like that's a dangerous one where that might be helpful for your average white man, but for someone like you or I, who has been historically silenced, it's just more proof that the world doesn't want or need what we have to offer when that just isn't the case. I think it also means that I will always have something new to say because no one has ever listened to what I have to say. Exactly. See, you worked through it to to the point. No one has ever had what I have to say because no one has ever looked like me. Yeah, that's funny. I never thought about that. Uh, also, I love photography. So the fact that you can tell a story through photography and a poem at the same time just like makes me really happy. Oh, my gosh. A few of my poems are being published in Sixfold. I don't know when that issue is coming out, but it's like a five poem set, which is an excerpt from this book of poetry that just vomited itself out of me. I, that's really gross, but like really it just came out in roughly two months at the start of quarantine and I've been refining it ever since. So don't worry. I'll sit here eagerly waiting for it. Thank you. Your poetry is fantastic. I, I love you so much. I love you. So the last two questions. Oh my gosh. What's one piece of advice you have for 16-year-old Rebecca Vega Romero? I said the whole name on purpose. Good. Okay, well, 16-year-old Rebecca went by Reb, and she was sure that there was something wrong with her. There's that speech that Clara makes. I'm going to cry. Okay. I'm just not going to look at you, and then maybe I won't cry. There's this speech that Clara makes at the end of The Light in the Piazza. Where she's like, something is wrong. I don't know what it is. I would fix it if I could or knew how. But you must not love me. And I felt that way all the time, every day. And I just want to tell her that the places where she is broken will be the things that make her beautiful. If she is brave enough to paint them back together herself and share them. And... Stop wasting your time on mean girls. The people who are mean are just going to keep being mean. Stop giving them second chances. It's so interesting because I've had a couple of interviews now, but every time we get to this question, people get so emotional, which I find beautiful. And everyone should be allowed to be emotional about it because there's something about looking back and seeing where you were that it just is so beautiful to see how far you've come. But with artists, I find that there was so much trauma when we were young 
because we just weren't allowed to be ourselves. Oh, yeah. Well, especially mixed race people, too. It's that combo. And I just was a really late bloomer, too. Like, another thing I would say is this really sucks to hear, but your 10th grade drama teacher is right. And you are a late bloomer and don't give up. Don't give up on your dreams just because your physical instrument isn't capable of what your peers are capable of now. You're going to get there. My 10th grade drama teacher forgot I auditioned for the musical in ninth grade. And then when I was a senior in high school, we had a meeting because I got one of the lead roles. And he was like, why didn't you audition when you were in ninth grade? And I go, I did. You just said I was forgettable. (gasps) And so it was this moment of realizing that I would never let anyone call me forgettable again. Good for you. Oh, my God. That makes me so angry. How dare you tell a child that? Ah. It's okay. He was also fantastic in many other ways and taught me many life lessons. Yeah. But you called me forgettable. You said I would never do this. And and here you are three years later telling me that I'm the best. (laughs) All right. Last question. Oh, I'm not ready. Okay. It's okay. Breathe. We'll breathe together. Arthur, breathe with us. The cat has been with us the entire time. It's totally silent. Best cat ever. Ready? What is one help you have for the future? Oh, it's so hard to narrow that down. Like I have all my personal hopes, but I think my big hope for the world right now is that more stories are told. I'm very hungry for stories from people like us. I want more mixed race stories. I want more stories from women. I want, I just, I want stories from people who have dealt with injustice and still have hope. And I want those stories told by those same people. So I want more, I want to make more movies. I'm really eager to share my short film, The Question, with the world. It's been a crazy pandemic journey, but I want to make more stories like that that are by and about mixed race women across the board behind the camera and in front of the camera. And then I want the same explosion of opportunity to happen in theater. I very much want to see our classics of American musical theater, as you mentioned, told with something new to say. Let us bring our voices and our perspective on what it means to be American to the stage. And then let us write the next chapter of the canon. Or uh, screw that. We already are writing the next chapter of the canon. Can you please give us the money and the space to tell those stories? I think people want to see them. I know that they will benefit from seeing them. That's my hope. Yes. And let us do it boldly and honestly. Ah! And it'll be great. I want that future. I would, I would love to be a part of that future. Well, mm. this has been great. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. This was such an honor.
the mixed chick. <laughs>